Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sports Ethos Chicago Bulls coverage show. I am your host, Keith Cork, and I am so excited today to bring you guys our Sports Ethos Boston Celtics team on the pod for a crossover episode. I don't know if this has ever been done, guys, on Sports Ethos show, show but a crossover episode with our Boston Celtics guys here to talk about a potential Bulls-Celtics playoff matchup. Uh, obviously, Trey's here, too. Uh, who cares about him? Trey Hill, my co-host, is here as well. No, just, just the guy who's <laughs> been speaking this into existence for the last three weeks. He is our he is our uh, resident, uh, resident Boston Celtics stand on this uh, Bulls podcast, so I guess he can be here. But uh, Patrick, Lucas, I'm glad to have you guys on, man. How? Uh, let me start with you, Patrick. How are you doing, man? How are you feeling about these Celtics? Just give me a you know, quick, uh, quick rundown here. Yeah, man. Thank you guys so much for having us on and also like collaborating with us. You know, we appreciate, you know, working together as a team, being on the same team together, coming out here. Um, excited for the Celtics, man. Playoff times are rolling. We're the hottest team, if not, you know, the best mm-hmm. team in the league right now. Currently took a little blow, but going into the playoffs with a lot of steam, not really, uh, not really too worried about it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And Lucas, how are you, man? I don't think I've ever talked to you before. So, uh, hi. <laughs> hey, what's up guys. Thanks for having us on the, uh, on the show, man. Yeah. Um, I have a soft, sh- uh, soft spot for the Bulls because I lived in Chicago for a while. So, nice. you know, as much as I uh, don't want to see them in the first round, there are some reasons why I maybe would like to see the Bulls in the first round. So, <laughs> you know, I think it'll be an interesting, uh, interesting first round series. So looking forward to diving into this. Yeah, man, absolutely. And uh, again, this is the Sports Ethos Chicago Bulls and Sports Ethos Boston Celtics show, guys. I want to go ahead and take a minute before we get started here to go ahead and plug and tell you guys to go follow at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. It's the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis, too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Just go follow it. Follow it now, uh, especially if you play fantasy. It's a lot of help. Um, definitely helps me out in my fantasy leagues, which are uh, all over now. But go follow it anyways for next season. So, um, But, hey, so let, let's just break it down, guys. Obviously, um, when the day started here, the Celtics were sitting in third. The the Bulls were sitting in sixth. So there was a potential you know, matchup to, to start the day. It's just crazy in the top four teams right now because as the day ends now, the Celtics are sitting in second and the Bulls are sitting in fifth because the Raptors actually uh, lost to the Heat. Uh, so the Bulls did move up here and the Celtics obviously won. So uh, they also moved up. So um, you know, let me just start off this way here. And, and Patrick, I'll throw it to you first, man. What do you think the odds are here that the Bulls and the Celtics meet in the first round? You know, I honestly think it's probably around like a 20% now with kind of how things are kind of panning out. I, I just think that it's going to end up being I – th- I think we're pretty much going to line up with the Cavs. It's, I, I wouldn't mind getting the Bulls, but, you know, as long as it's not Brooklyn first round, I think that's – if you're in the top four right now playing those musical chairs, I think Miami might be in a bit of a trouble or, or whoever's in second seat, which might be us. So a um, little bit on the concerning side as far as that, but – but I think Brooklyn believes that 10th seed, if I'm not mistaken right now, correct? So yeah. if they kind of sit there, then they're going to end up playing the number one seed, which, you know, Miami, we're happy you beat us then. Glad to glad to let you guys take that one seed. We had it for a day. We made a nice little comeback. Good luck with that. But I, I do think <laughs> there is a, a solid chance for us to, to get the Bulls, maybe 20, 40%. I mean, we have a matchup against you guys coming up. I think that dictates some things as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big one. Uh, Lucas, what, what say you about that, man? 
Sorry, can you repeat the question? My audio cut out. Oh, you're good, man. I was just saying, uh, you know, what are the odds here? Do you think that the Bulls and the Celtics actually meet in the first round? Because everything's just juggling so much uh, in the top four. I mean, yeah, uh, I think there's a pretty good chance, like Patrick said. I mean, I think the Stars could align for a 4-5 spot, maybe a 3-6 matchup. Um, You know, I don't, I probably don't think you guys fall down into the play-in. You know, the Mm 2-7 probably isn't that likely. I know you guys have a pretty tough schedule to end the year, but... um, I don't think that's too likely, but you know, I could definitely see it happening. Probably the four five matchup is probably the most likely, I would say, if the Celtics were to meet the Bulls. And Trey, obviously big news today with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers losing. So the Bulls just need to win one to stay in the play uh, playoffs here and not be in the play in. Uh, so how, how are you feeling, man? Are, are you think the uh, Bulls and Celtics are going to match up? Yeah, I've been saying it for weeks now. That this is, <laughs> He's, it's this is a faded destiny, that's right. Yeah, so. because we, we know the history of Bulls-Celtics, amazing first-round matchup. It's, it, it's a thing. It's just it's something that the Bulls and Celtics are destined to do. It's going to happen again. Like you said, the Cavs have tanked their way into the play, and we're not going to have to worry about that. We're going to meet the Celtics, and it's going to be a fantastic series. That's what's going to happen. That's, it's just the way it is. <laughs> Trey is convinced, man. He is uh, absolutely sure that we are going to play the Celtics. That's why we had you guys on first. We're probably going to, you know, try to get some, you know, some other guys on and talk about a potential matchup there. But uh, Trey is uh, like totally in on on this happening. Uh, I think it'd be a really fun series. Obviously, guys, these teams are two teams are heading in opposite directions. The, the Celtics are just looking have looked incredible since a uh, about a 500 start here uh, recently, and the Bulls uh, have looked pretty dreadful here over the last month or so. Um, you know, what ails the Bulls, we'll get into that, obviously, as the show goes on here, and we'll talk about, you know, what, what our particular uh, fears are for our own teams. But uh, I want do you want to – as Trey mentioned it here, I do want to also mention the uh, 2009 series, obviously, uh, with the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls. And I, you know, I don't know if this one would, would necessarily go seven games. Uh, obviously, we can talk about that. But that series, I just want to talk about that series briefly, guys. That series went uh, – it was a seven-game series. It had Rookie of the Year and Derrick Rose, future Hall of Famers Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. Uh, Kevin Garnett wasn't in it because he had a knee injury. Uh, so, obviously, that helped the Bulls uh, you know, make a series out of it. There was, you know, obviously, Rajon Rondo was in it. Joe Kim Noah, future de- uh, defensive player of the year. Um, seven overtime periods four in four different games. Five games were decided by three points or less. And the teams alternated wins from games three to seven. So, uh, Lucas, I'll start with you, man. What um, what do you remember about that series? I mean, you know, w- was it a series that you watched from start to finish? Did you get excited about it? Oh, um, no doubt. I was actually going to say, you know, I hope this series is not as stressful as that series was. <laughs> because I feel like that series took a few years off my life. But, uh, right. You know, what I remember mostly is Derrick Rose blocking Scalabrini on the vest break. I feel like that was in that <laughs> series. Uh I believe I could be wrong, but uh, he chased him down and swatted him like, you know, he was six foot ten himself. <laughs> I remember um, John Salmons going crazy. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was like probably the most underrated part of the series. And then obviously Ben Gordon, like shooting, like felt like what he shot, like Chris Middleton did a couple years ago against the Celtics. Like felt like the guy couldn't miss a three pointer. So, yeah, those are the big three things. And then probably uh, I remember Ray Allen hitting like, you know, a big shot. So those are probably the big things that stick out. <laughs> What do you remember out of that, uh, uh, Patrick, from that series? Um, that that matchup was two defensive juggernauts coming to a head. Like some of the best defenses we probably will ever see match up in the playoff series in the first round, maybe of all time. Um, that series was historic in so many ways for both franchises. You know, I think the winner of that series was going to 
go to the finals regardless. Like we, mm. if the Boston Celtics didn't exist that year, you know, at, at that level of intensity, you're probably seeing Derrick Rose in the, in the NBA finals and who knows how that ends up turning out. So um, just a great overall series. Uh, Rajon Rondo was my favorite player growing up. So watching mm. him, um, you know, and the defensive matchup like that, it's who's getting the 50, 50 balls. And it just seemed like the Celtics got just enough more than the Bulls to just barely edge them out. Rondo was a big, big point of that. He was the one always throwing his body on the ground. Didn't matter, stretching his arms. And he had those long arms. I just remember Rondo's long arms, like 6'9", 6'10", guy, just taking advantage, grabbing loose ball on the ground, snatching it up, making big, impactful plays. But overall, that series was just getting your blood pressure pretty high. It was yeah, intense, I, man. It was intense. Yeah, good. <laughs> no, yeah, I just remember also uh, that felt like – I don't know if this is really that true, but it felt like – this is where Noah kind of stamped himself as like an elite NBA player, truly, yeah. because I remember he was dominant defensively a lot of the time in that series. Right. And, you know, he's a guy who didn't have maybe the counting stats of even John Salmons, maybe that series, but uh, his impact was definitely felt. I remember that for sure. And, uh, and Trey, what do you remember out of that series, man? I remember this asshole named Cody Parrott spoiling game seven for me at a party. <laughs> I remember it was it was the most exciting series for me that I, I could really remember as a basketball fan, because growing up, like I remember watching Jordan, but I wasn't old enough to appreciate, you know, uh, Patrick mentioned the high blood pressure. I wasn't old enough to really get the high blood pressure. So I remember this series and like me and my buddies, this was at a, a point in my life where, you know, I'm just hanging out with the same like five, six friends, you know, all the time. We're watching the games. It. Yeah. The series itself, it just encapsulates this moment in my life where I got to just sit around with my buddies who loved hoops and just watch basketball all the time. And so to me, watching Noah come out, watching Rose come out and just kind of show the rest of the, you know, the NBA landscape, what we had seen that whole season. And it was just exciting to see this team that we were all so excited about come out and show that they had this potential. Yeah, that was a series that, you know, really the Bulls took a leap and, and it put them on the map. And, and from then on, they were perennially, you know, uh, finals uh, c- competitors. And that's what I remember about it. I mean, um, obviously, LeBron James existed and that sucks because that means we never got to go there. We, we kept getting beat by LeBron and, uh, you know, screw LeBron for that. But uh, it is what it is, man. I'll lose to the best player all day. Uh, no big deal. Um, but, yeah, the, the Celtics you know, just won in 2008. I actually, guys. I had been not watching the NBA or any basketball for that matter for like, I would say maybe three or four years at that point. Um, Just, you know, took a break, I guess, and just wasn't into it. And that Celtics uh, Lakers series actually got me back into basketball. So uh, when I got to watch the Bulls actually, you know, come out and uh, and give these guys, you know, hell to for lack of a better word. I mean, that was really, really awesome to me. That got my blood flowing, man. Um, Derek Rose, obviously, yeah, kid from Chicago, was really hoping that he'd be a good player and just turned out to be better than I could ever imagine uh, until he you know, towards ACL, obviously. And then, uh, you know, you guys mentioned Joakim Noah. The one thing I remember, and I know we've talked about this before on this program, Trey, but uh, I remember, you know, Joakim Noah stealing the ball uh, from Pat, from Paul Pierce. I think that was game six and dunking it on his head. Uh, and that was just like everyone just going wild. And that was just such cr- a crazy time. And like you said, Trey, I was watching this, the games, you know, every time with the same, you know, five, six, seven people. And we were just going nuts. And people that didn't even watch basketball were just going nuts watching the series. So, man, it's just good basketball, good entertainment. Uh, you know, if the Bulls do match up with the Celtics again, guys, 
I hope that happens again, obviously, because I think the Bulls are underdogs in this series, and we can talk about that in a minute here. But um, before we do, I want to go ahead and uh, ask you guys real quick. Give me your thoughts here, and I'll start with you, Patrick. Javante Green, man, he's come over to the Bulls, and he's been kind of a – I wouldn't say a godsend for us. It's not like he's been, like, incredible. But, man, he has filled in admirably for us here, and he's just so athletic. And we just – Trey and I both love the way that he attacks the basket with, like, reckless abandon every single time he catches the basketball. So, uh and tell me briefly here about uh, Javante Green. Uh, you know, were you sad when, to see him go? Honestly, me and me and Lucas talked about it um, often when when it happened. The the Celtics were still kind of in a shaky transition. You're getting a lot of new players, and the whole point of like a team is right to keep your your stars happy, especially when they're younger. You don't want them to, to get disgruntled or anything like that. You want to keep them happy, keep right. guys on the roster they really like, especially if it's going to be someone cheap like a guy at the end of the bench. Cool. Javante uh, was definitely a guy that Tatum was really good friends with. Right. So when he left, our concern was like, that's one of Tatum's boys. Like, <laughs> hopefully he doesn't take that in a bad way. But no, man, he's he's a great um, end of the bench type guy, full of energy, comes in, plays hard, and he's always trying to catch a body. It seems like right. it don't matter who's under there. It could be a defensive player. It could be Rudy Gobert for all he cares, man. He's coming over there. He's gonna try to dunk on your head, and that type of energy just gets the crowd back into it maybe both boost the the starters a little bit and it's just overall he's just a good locker room guy so just a good guy to just have on your roster even if he's like your 15th you know 12th man he's not going to blow you away and come out there and take over you know a crucial role for a contending team but a player that that we still didn't want to see go yeah and um you know, if for for me, Trey, I'm going to speak with you uh, about the Bulls here. Um, you know, Javante Green obviously uh, has stepped into a bigger role with Patrick Williams, Williams being out uh, and just, you know, Lonzo Balls being out and Alex Caruso being out. Now he's kind of diminished and gotten more like a 12 to 13 minute role. But uh, I know I've said it before, man, I've been on the Javante Green fan club since the very beginning because this guy, I feel like, brings a dimension to the game. Uh, he doesn't pop in the box score like like uh, Patrick just said, you know, he's not going to like change the game drastically. But he has filled this role uh, very admirably, and I, I've loved every second that he's been uh, on the court for us because he's just a, a, a good guy to root for, right? Yeah, his energy would have fit in that Bulls-Celtic series we were just talking about. The way he plays every game in the regular season, like it's just the most important game. He, he's he been fantastic for the Bulls, and given the injury luck that we've had this year, similar to what the Celtics went through last year, when you have guys having to play a bunch of minutes, having to, to play out of their role, it's nice to have someone who brings that energy and brings that effort. When not when guys are tired, guys have dead legs, that sort of thing. Um, Lucas, I know you didn't get to talk about Javante Green. The other thing I was going to mention, though, was another guy in this trade was Daniel Tice. And mm-hmm. he came to Chicago, but he's back on the Celtics. So while you, you can talk about your Javante Green love some more if you'd like – uh, I'm really interested to hear about Daniel Tice because when he was in Chicago, me and Keith, we you know we appreciated him for what he was, and I thought he'd have more success in Houston. But now that he's back on the Celtics, I'm really excited to see him get some more playing time. I, is he still a fan favorite in Boston? Lucas, what, what say you? Oh yeah, uh, people people seem to love Tice still. Actually, you know, shockingly at the games, I actually see a, a good number of Tice jerseys, which you know never ceases to surprise me. Um, given, you know, well, he kind of fits that Boston demographic a little better than some of the other players. So. <laughs> yeah, Tice, Pritchard, for sure, fan favorites, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as far as Javante goes, I pretty much echo things, you know, all of you said. 
I think you love his effort. You love his energy. His athleticism are the three things that really stand out. And I'm with Patrick. You know, it did feel bad when he was traded because this is at a time, like Patrick said, we were kind of in a weird transition. And, you know, doing anything to upset a player like Jason Tatum did not feel like the right move. But to your point, you know, getting Tice back, um, who was also in the trade, um, he's been pretty solid. And especially with Robert Williams going down, I mean, we really needed a better third big than Ennis Freedom who people also loved in Boston. Uh, but, you know, that's another conversation. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is good to have Tice back, you know, in the mix. He can space the floor a lot better. He can obviously move his feet better than Ennis Freedom. And, uh, you know, he's not obviously dominant or anything like, like that, but it's just good to have a, a solid third big in the mix again. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, uh, yeah, good, good call on that uh, uh, trade. I forgot Tice was involved in that, uh, you know, trade. And uh, we did like him in Chicago. We hoped we could keep him, actually. And, uh, obviously, that didn't happen. But, um, you know, glad he's in a good organization here with Boston. And um, so let's talk about it, guys. Let's, let's you know, cut the ice here, cut the bull crap. Uh, you know, let's say the Bulls and Celtics do match up. Let's say the stars align. And like my buddy Trey here says, you know, these guys go at it. And, uh what do you think? I mean, let's start with the starters here. Um, you know, start at the point guard position. You've got Ayodesumu because I'm, you know, let me let me say first and foremost, I don't think that Lonzo Ball is going to be back um, for this first round of the playoffs. I really don't. Uh, I know Trey echoes me on that. Uh, there's a optimism because he is starting to, you know, do more things on the court right now that he could possibly play uh, towards the end of the season or, or in the first round. But I just I just don't see it happening. So. Um, you know, point guard through through center. Um, you know, Patrick, give me your thoughts, man. I'm going to throw it to you here. Uh, you know, where do you see the Celtics having the biggest you know advantages here in the starters? Uh, where do you see them having maybe a disadvantage if they have any? Yeah, you know, um, I would say they would have no disadvantage mm-hmm. if Robert Williams didn't get hurt. I think mm-hmm. that's that's the chink in the armor now, right? The rim protection takes a hit. So with a guy like Booch, who I know. Bulls fans aren't the happiest with his defensive side of the ball, but what he could do on the offensive end, I guess, especially against a team that, you know, doesn't have their best rim protector, rim protector, they could definitely take advantage there. Also DeRozan, very good at getting to the rim. I think that's going to be the starting point when it comes to the Bulls, but the advantages that the Celtics have should overpower that. Simply, I always like to look at series and I go, who's the best player in the series? And it's not even about who, what they did in the regular season. Who do you really just think is the best player in the series? And I think the Celtics had that with Tatum. You know, I think DeRozan probably be the second best player in the series, arguably next to Jalen Brown. You know, so it's it's kind of up there. But if you have two out of the top three best players in the series, I think you have you have better odds to win that series. Secondly, you know, defense really get to set your defense in the, in the playoffs. It gets a little bit more grindy. Less calls happen, so normally the defense get away with even more. I like to lean more defensive side of the guys. So the Celtics have that edge where I, I am scared at is just, you know, the Celtic uh, Celtics are really hurt on the interior. Like you get Al Horford in, in foul trouble, you know, who is our second big after Daniel Tice, you know, like you're going to go against Grant Williams. Is Grant Williams going to be able to slow down Vooch? You know, there's some question marks in that area. Not having Robert Williams was, that's why that Tice deal actually might've saved our season in a sense, because mm-hmm. <laughs> Ennis Freedom would have been the backup big, and probably would have been one of the other bigs going into the playoffs playing about 25 minutes. And I'm sorry if you're a contending team, Menace Freedom is not going to be the guy you want playing 25 minutes. So overall, though, I think that the Celtics at the at the point guard as well, Marcus Smart taking his jump with his playmaking. It, I really hope that Lonzo Ball was able to make it. 
we were a fan of Lonzo. If we had enough money, he would have been the perfect fit for the Celtics team. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, he we didn't have the cap space. But hopefully he can get back. If not, then I think that's just going to be a really big hit to the Bulls and what they're going to try to do. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, good points there, uh, Patrick. And Trey, let me uh, get to you with the uh, Bulls side here. You know, starters, point guard through center. What are you seeing, man? For the Bulls offensively, what I'm seeing is – like Patrick just said, with Time Lord being out, that that creates an opportunity for the Bulls. Vucevic is going to be the key for this series for for the for Chicago. Having a guy who can operate because Vooch is bigger than Al Horford, and we've watched Vooch when you give him the ball, when you let him operate, when the offense runs to Vooch, things work better. And I went and looked on Synergy. Robert Williams was rated excellent at defending catch and shoot shots. Whereas Horford, he was average at it. And Daniel Tice, he was poor. So I think Vooch has to get going in the offense because when you have Marcus Smart, you've got Jalen Brown, Derek White, you have these great point of attack defenders. The Bulls don't have, they don't play make well enough to to play, you know, to have their guards be the ones creating. So you're going to have to create through Vooch. And then I think the Bulls are going to have to capitalize on those catch and shoot opportunities if they can get Boston in rotations on defense. Um, Zach, for instance, like he's the fifth best catch and shoot guy in the league this year from three point land. So he's going to have to be able to go off. And on defense, uh, the Bulls, you're right, uh, Patrick, about Vooch struggling, but he really struggles with with speed. So I think if the Bulls can get Boston into that kind of ISO ball that they enjoy and they were playing more earlier in the season and not utilize their playmaking like they have in the second half when they really took off. That that's what they need to do, and I think you, you just have to protect Vooch. And I think he'll. I think I like Vooch matching up better against like Tatum and Brown than at least quicker guards. So to me, it's just Patrick Williams is the key on defense. I think, and if he can help Vooch kind of recover, then maybe the Bulls might have a chance. But it's a, uh, it's not looking pretty when when you look at the matchups. Yeah, it's an uphill battle. Um, Lucas, what uh, observations do you have, man? Um, yeah, I think Trey and Pat both made a lot of great points. Um, the one thing I really agree with what Trey just said is Patrick Williams is going to be, you know, the biggest factor for the Bulls on defense, it feels like, because, you know, the Bulls are not flush with wing defenders, especially, you know, losing a guy like Lonzo is a guy who can guard multiple positions on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be it's going to be tough to slow down Jalen and Jason. I mean, it's tough for any team, even with good defensive wings, to slow down Jalen and Jason. So, you know, the Bulls, especially with their lack of wing defenders, it feels like. And then, you know, Vooch protecting the rim, which is not his strong suit. I think I'm being nice saying that. Um, you know, it's going to be pretty tough to uh, slow those guys down. And then to your point about Ayo, you know, being the starting point guard. Ayo was somebody I loved watching in high school. Um, you know, he's one of my favorite players. Really like to see him, like, flourishing in Chicago, you know, where he played in high school. Mm-hmm. But uh, like Trey mentioned, the Celtics have a lot of great point of attack defenders. So, once again, I think Trey is on the money with they're going to have to run the offense through Vooch because, you know, AO's life is going to be really, really hard, you know, being guarded by Derek White, um, by Marcus Smart. And even you guys might even laugh, but Pritchard has been annoying. He's been really annoying to play, uh, to, to play against, you know, on defense. He's been really pesky. Um, I think AO could take advantage of that matchup, obviously, a little bit more than the other two guys. But uh, I think the Bulls running their offense through Vucevic is really going to uh, – is really going to matter big time. And then I know I mentioned this to you guys, you know, before the show um, on Twitter is that without Rob, if DeRozan and Levine can break down the defense, 
you know, I think that could leave the Celtics in a little bit of a scarier spot given, you know, because Levine has the ability to go and finish over a guy like Horford. We all know that, you know, he's an mm-hmm. insane athlete. DeRozan, you know, his mid-range pull-up is crazy. So if, you know, he can get by his guy a little bit, you know, that mid-range will be there all day. Um, if Al's there, because Al's more a little bit more likely to drop than to switch, you know, just he doesn't have the same mobility as Time Lord. So that does worry me a little bit. If uh, you guys can break down the defense, you know, you can get the defense scrambling. And like you said, take advantage of those catch-and-shoot opportunities. And I mentioned in the last show, guys, I think um, I really do think the IO is going to shift to the bench here, especially when it comes playoff time. I think the Bulls are going to opt to uh, go point guard list, honestly, because we don't um, we're going to we basically have DeMar DeRozan run the point guard for most of the game anyways. So I think it's just kind of a farce to have IO out there pretending that he's running, you know, starting point guard. It's like, uh, you know, here, kid, have have this uh, have the reins here and, and go go to town. But I really do think the Bulls are more successful when they just have DeRozan bring the ball up the court and attempt to, you know, start any kind of half court offense with the ball in his hands because he's going to end up with it anyways. I just think it's it's just kind of silly uh, to have IO out there in that role. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Bulls rotations as the you know the last four games happen here. Um, I have not been impressed with IO recently. Uh, He's been one of the one of my uh, punching bags, I guess you could say, uh, most recently as far as the bull the bulls go. But uh, I think you guys make great choice points. I think you, we I'm going to be the third guy that says basically that Vooch is the X factor here on the offensive end for sure. Uh, that's been the case all season, Trey. I know we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, you know, if the Bulls can get Vooch the ball in his spots and allow him to create, allow him to uh, take advantage of you know matchups in that mid post, that's when the Bulls are best. And the, the issue is that we get tunnel vision trying to get that. And, you know, we spend maybe six, seven, eight, nine seconds of the shot clock attempting to get him the ball. And uh, by that time, you know, it, it's over. When you're playing a good defense like the Boston Celtics, uh, which are just ridiculous. I mean, I, I'm really afraid. And we'll talk a, a bit more about the benches here. But I'm really afraid of the uh, Marcus Martin, Derek White, you know, <laughs> backcourt there on defense. And that, let alone having Jason Tatum and, uh, and uh, Jalen Brown next to him. But. Uh, you know, when we're talking about defense like that, you just can't screw around and have uh, eight, nine seconds to create a shot. It's just not going to happen. You have to have movements with purpose. And that's something the Bulls really struggle with. So obviously, uh, you know, like you guys have been saying, like we've all been saying, the Celtics have a, a strong edge here, especially when it comes to the starting five. Um, Tatum, I agree. Uh, best player on the floor. I did, did a little comparison here uh, with Tatum next to DeRozan. And, and Tatum blows him out of the water in most metrics. The only thing DeRozan does better uh, and only slightly is scoring and assisting the basketball. So, you know, I think offensively, uh, DeRozan's, you know, maybe oh, like a maybe a small, small, small tad better this season uh, than Tatum. But like like Patrick said, you know, once the playoffs start, regular season just doesn't matter anymore. And uh, we see what happens when the games mean more with the Bulls and the Bulls have, uh, quite frankly, shot the bed. So, you know, that's that's probably going to continue here. There's nothing to, to lead me to believe the, the uh, other way. So. Uh, going to be a rough one here, but yeah, let's, let's uh, transition here to talking about the benches here. Um, Bulls not a particularly uh, you know deep team. Uh, we're actually looking at the scoring in the NBA here. The Bulls are sitting at 29th in bench scoring, bench scoring, and the Celtics are at 26th in bench scoring. But uh, you know, I'll start with you, Lucas, uh, since I didn't give you a chance to start last time. Uh, tell me a little bit, you know, give me some observations here about uh, the Celtics bench and you know who you think is going to be able to take advantage of this matchup against the Bulls, uh, assuming we play each other in the playoffs. Yeah, so the Celtics being 26th in bench scoring is not surprising because Ime just has had a really short bench all year. Hmm. You know, I think that's one of the big transitions to the Celtics when they started winning games is Ime just really shortened the rotation. 
Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see who the Celtics roll out in the starting lineup, whether or not we roll out Grant at the four or Tice, you know, with a double big lineup or maybe even, you know, slide Derek White in there and get a little bit smaller and, um, you know, play Jalen and Jason at the three, four. But I think Derek White is going to be a big player off the bench if he does come off the bench. Um, you know, Patrick and I have talked pretty much ad nauseum about his shooting struggles. You know, he literally was shooting like 20% on three pointers since he came over. But the last five games, he's about 40%. And tonight, actually, against the Wizards, he was on the money from three. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a big thing um, that could potentially help the Bulls, you know, if the Bulls just are able to leave Derek White and Derek White goes one of four, one of five, um, you know, that could be, you know, a big point, you know, of uh, contention in the series. Uh, but the thing about Derek White is even if he's not making his threes, two things I love about him as a player. One, he does not continue to chuck when he's missing threes. He'll attack the basket. He'll move the ball. And two, you know, kind of ties in. He does everything else well on the court, uh, you know, with the exception of shoot threes at this point. So. I think he can overcome that, but I would just say if the Bulls are able to, you know, leave the strong side corner, leave him wide open, you know, kind of protect the paint a little bit more for guys like Jalen and Jason attacking the hoop, that could definitely be something. And then uh, Pritchard as well, I would say. Got to throw him in here. He's been shooting absolutely the lights out recently. Uh, His confidence is through the roof. He's literally taking shots that you expect a guy like, you know, Stephen Curry or someone to take. You know, he's just (laughs) pulling the trigger and he's uh, been absolutely money. So I would watch out for him as well off the bench. Yeah, you, you guys will get open threes. Don't worry. Against this Bulls defense, absolutely. So no problems there. Uh, Trey, let, let me hit you again here. Give me some Bulls uh, guys here on the bench that you are looking to uh, step up here in the, in a potential playoff matchup. Well, I think Io would actually start mm. in the playoffs. So I think it would be Io, DeRozan, Zach, uh, Williams, and Vooch. So to me, you're looking at Caruso coming off the bench. You're looking at Javante Green coming off the bench. Given the lack of size that Boston has with Time Lord out, Maybe we could finally get some more of those Derek Jones Jr. Uh, at center minutes that everyone, all the Bulls fans have just kind of been itching for with Tristan Thompson letting us down lately. But Tristan Thompson's the other guy who, you know, he's our backup big that's been a pretty big letdown. So for me, what you're looking at in terms of the Bulls is with Green and Caruso, it's that defensive intensity. Um, they're going to have to be able to come in, create uh, steals, create pressure, and hopefully get the Bulls some transition opportunities. That's what I'm looking for from them because, like you mentioned, the defense is just so stifling from Boston that Chicago is going to need to be able to get out in transition and get some easy buckets. Before the All-Star break, they were sec- the Bulls were second in passes per game. After the All-Star break, they're like tied for 23rd, I think is what, uh, what I looked up the other day. They're passing the ball 20 fewer times you know, compared pre-All-Star break, post-All-Star break. They have to move the ball. They have to to get Boston moving on defense, rotating. And I I think the bench can help with that because Caruso and Green, they might not always play perfect, and that's part of the reason they come off the bench, but they're, they always play hard. They always play with effort, and they're always going to try and make the right play. Yeah. Um, well, with the Bulls struggling so much, uh, you know, coming out w- with the bench scoring, I think Kobe White is probably my guy that I'd be looking at. Um, you know, we need to, he's been absolutely dreadful the last three or four games. 
But we need him to score. We need him to, uh, like you said, make the you know Celtics work, uh, even when the starters are off the court. Because right now the Bulls, uh, when the bench comes in, I kind of hold my breath because it just hasn't been great. Uh, it's been pretty awful, actually. And a big part of that, obviously, is because the Bulls have been missing. You know, they missed Caruso for months. Um, they were missing uh, uh, Patrick Williams, obviously. They only played four games at the start of the se- uh, year and then missed the rest of the season up, up until the last you know couple weeks. Um, so, you know, the Bulls have, have dealt with just having bodies out and just, you know, that's that's really contributed to the bench being so dreadful. But I think Kobe is, uh, you know, I, I, I think he's really important to what the Bulls do offensively. And the Bulls need to put up points, uh, you know, when the Celtics starters are off the off the court. I really think that's a, that's something the Bulls need to focus on if they want to try to pull up an upset win against the Celtics team. Uh, Got to win those minutes without uh, Tatum and Brown on the court or with just one of those guys on the court. Got to win those minutes if you're the Bulls, if you want to stand a chance to win it. Uh, Patrick, what uh, what do you have to say here about the uh, bench unit? Yeah, and I know you brought up the the offensive, you know, part of the bench unit for the Celtics, but the three guys that come off the Celtics bench aren't used for scoring. Like, that's not their MO, right? It's to keep the lead because people understand that Tatum is the number one player in the league when it comes to plus minus. Like, he gets you the lead. When he's on the court, you're you're going to be winning games. That's just what he does. He goes out there and helps put your team in the best position to win games. So what happens when he gets off the court – is our best to just keep it even. You up 10, let's just keep it 10. We're not asking you to build on it. You know, we're just to play some defense. Give Tatum four or five minutes. Give Jalen Brown four or five minutes. You know, keep it consistent. So the key component to this bench unit is just stay locked in defensively. Don't lose that step. Because in the starting five, who do you pick on? On the Celtics. You, you can't pick on somebody. The worst defender in the starting five is some team's best defender. So that's something that even in the bench unit, it's hard to find a, a chink in that defensive armor. I, I think that as well that the guy that's going to be really crucial, I don't think he'll end up starting um, the series is be Daniel Tice. Mm-hmm. I think Daniel Tice is a big key to this because he needs to be able to stay out of foul trouble because he comes in in the bench unit, he picks up quick fouls, and it's going to force Al Horford, who's older, into more minutes in the earlier rounds. We don't need that at all. So we might have to go into like smaller lineups and I don't really want Grant Williams on Booch. I, I like what Grant has done and developed this year, but I don't like, you know, putting him on Booch ideally if we don't have to and let Booch kind of go to work. So I think the the big thing is the bench bigs and Daniel Tice need mm-hmm. to just kind of make sure they stay out of foul trouble and defense just needs to stay locked in. Yeah, good good points, man. Good points, everybody. Um, real quick here, whoever wins this series, I'm going to definitely be playing uh, some props here on Thrive Fantasy. So I want to go ahead and plug our brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos. Thrive Fantasy, prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at ThriveFantasy.com. Use code ETHOS when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit. Up to 100 bucks plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. It's a, it's a, it's a cool little, uh, little game there guys and, uh, and gals and go play it. It's uh, a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so man, you guys make some great points here. Um, let's talk about, you know, let's just go position by position here and talk about our rotations here. And I'll start here with the bulls rotation, obviously at point guard. And, and like I said, um, I think Io uh, maybe transitions to a bench role. We're going to see here what happens in the last four games. I think Donovan has to get a little bit more creative. Uh, 
with these lineups. Uh, I know Trey disagrees. Uh, I, he's probably right. I, I don't see that uh, much of a shift happening probably with the Bulls, but um, I do think that they need to sit IO. I think he need, they need to start uh, maybe Caruso and Patrick Williams next to each other just to improve this defense. This defense is just dreadful. I hate watching it night by night. By night. And if you're going to stop, t- have any hope of stopping Tatum and Brown, uh, I think you have to really improve your defensive rotation. So, uh, I, but let's just assume that they're going to keep it the same. So we've got IO uh, with Kobe and Caruso coming off the bench. And, um, you know, with Kobe Caruso are both in the game at the point guard position. DeMar is effectively our point guard, right, Trey? Um, so how are you feeling about that rotation? Do you think that's going to be, you know, a solid thing to – a solid, you know, three guys at the point guard, assuming we don't have Lonzo here to go against the Celtics team? I like Io's length. You know, um, I love the way Caruso plays. Kobe, I loved him for you because I don't I don't have faith in him to be able to capitalize against a defense as disciplined and as talented as this Boston one. So uh, I think he's going to be the odd man out. And I I hope that when we see that he's not having a good game, he, he gets pulled quickly and we're not seeing him get 20 minutes and only getting three points. But you're right about DeMar is effectively the point guard. Him or Zach, whoever's creating. But to me, it whoever can get the ball to Vooch. So to me, Io and Vooch, they showed some real chemistry um, there whenever Io went on that big run. To me, if you could get Io and Vooch into that chemistry again, I think that would do wonders for, for them in this, in this series. Especially because I think Io is going to have probably the worst defender on the floor on him. And while, uh, like Patrick and Lucas have said... Boston has great defenders. You can't really pick on one. If you're going to be able to do anything, you're going to be able to do it against the worst defender on the court, hopefully. So just to kind of talk about um, for the Bulls, you know, kind of some deficiencies in the point guard, because I think the Bulls, um, I think the Celtics win point guard hands down with Marcus Smart. Uh, And we'll let you guys talk about that Celtics guys. But um, I think the deficiencies as far as the Bulls go and what they need to address to be better is – a pace. I mean, just playing with pace. We saw with Lonzo Ball in the lineup early in the season. This team absolutely thrives on getting out in transition and scoring buckets in that way. And I just don't see that happening. Io does get out in transition, uh, but he's usually the recipient of the pass. You know, he's getting the pass from somebody else. So that's why I just don't like him in that point guard role. I like him more in the shooting guard, small forward role. Uh, so if you're going to start him, that's fine. And have Crusoe come off the bench. I mean, that's that's fine. Uh, I just don't want him as the starting point guard, just personally. That's just me. Um, but I don't think the Bulls have a great option at point guard. So I think that's that's why the the Celtics win this hand down, hands down. Um, so I think that's important. And, and B is the point of attack defense. And we talked about that ad nauseum, uh, Trey, on this show, uh, on the Sports Ethos Chicago Bulls show, because the Bulls' point of attack defense is just dreadful. And that really puts Vooch in such a bad position when he plays out drop coverage and pick and rolls. Um, teams just pick it apart over and over again. You've got Jason Tatum, you've got Jalen Brown here. Um, these guys can easily go off for 40, 50 points. Uh, and, that, and that can happen. And that's going to happen unless the Bulls have somebody that can stay, stick with the ball handler uh, and, you know, try to fight through these screens and at least give some pressure so that we're not just coming off, uh, you know, the screen going downhill and you've got two against one going downhill against Vucevic backpedaling. Um, Patrick, I'll start with you, man. Tell me about your point guard rotation. What do you like there? Uh, what don't you like here against this Bulls team? You know, I'm going to get more credit here to Lucas because uh, I was I was on the train of Marcus Smart as starting point guard, um, but I tilted at some points where I may have not jumped off, but I was like, man, I might <laughs> hop off this train a bit. Maybe yeah. we need to improve that position, et cetera. But I think Marcus Smart has proven that um, his playmaking ability and his ability to be a, a point guard in this league is – 
and having the first opportunity this year, he's he he can be that guy. I mean, he's made some tremendous strides throughout the season. Uh, and then it doesn't get easier when he comes off the bench because now you're going against a guy like Derek White. You know, that acquisition was so crucial for the Celtics because instead of getting Dennis Schroeder, who's a liability on the defensive side of the ball and sometimes can be a ball stopper on the offensive side, Derek White's literally the exact opposite. Right. He's a guy who will get the ball moving. He gets, you know, clamps up on defense, gives you that energy off the bench. He makes takes smart shots, even if he wasn't shooting well, like we talked about. But he has been starting to shoot a little bit better, a little bit better, getting more comfortable with his team. Um, but I do want to focus on Marcus Smart. And the reason I'm focusing on Marcus Smart is because he's trying to do something that we haven't seen since 1995, since Gary Payton did. And that's when a defensive player award at the guard position, right. which I do think. And, 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 Mark, and I know Lucas agrees with me that. He deserves to have that opportunity. He, he's been one of the best defenders in the league, and it hasn't been even close as far as, like, guards go in the, in the league. He's top guard 100%. The fact he's in this discussion has just shown how great he's been. And he can guard positions one through five. Yeah, maybe five is a little bit harder for him to stay more consistent on, but he's done it in the past. He's shown glimpses of it. He may not do it for more than, like, ten possessions in it in a single game, but he'll do it for like eight, seven positions. This is a switchable defense. And when Marcus Smart gets on you, the ball doesn't normally attack at that point. They kind of go away from him, no matter who the person is. Nobody sees Marcus Smart as a mismatch, no matter who has the ball. Yeah. Uh, Lucas, man, thinking back off that, talk, talk about point guards. No, listen, Pat, I appreciate the props because, you know, <laughs> I, Smart was the guy I, I would ride for, really. And Patrick and I had a lot of conversations with, you know, fans on Spotify Green Room, you know, and a lot of them would go at Smart's throat in the offseason, saying he's not a player we could ever win a championship with. Mm-hmm. He's not a true point guard. And with me, I wanted to be patient with him. And, you know, in the beginning of the year, it was rocky. But like right. Pat said, he really has grown into that role. And he's not just making the flashy passes anymore. He's making the right passes, you know, while keeping some flash in there. Um, and we all know about his defense, you know. Um, Smart's a player who literally feels like he plays with his life on the line every game, that type of effort. You know, you can't recreate that, and guys like that don't grow on trees. You couple that with his physical ability, like Patrick said, being a 6'4", you know, 230-pound guard who can guard guys like in the past, like Paul Millsap in the post. Like, uh, you know, we've seen it just a number of times. So, uh, listen, I love Smart. I love what he does for the team. And, you know, I'm just going to pretty much echo what Patrick says. You know, I couldn't imagine being, you know, guarded by smart for the first eight minutes of the game and then off the bench comes Derek white to make your life even worse so uh that's got to be tough so um i really just love this other point guard rotation and then you throw in pritchard there who is obviously not the same caliber defender as those two guys um but what he is better than both of them at is shooting and uh you know he has range out to 30 32 feet you know you really got to put a hand up pretty much once he hits the hash mark. So uh, I really like where the Celtics point guard rotation is compared to how we felt about it, like, in November. You know, it feels like an entirely different world, pretty much. I wonder how many uh, steals Marcus Smart's going to have on Kobe White. Probably a lot. Uh, so let's talk about the shooting Also, also wanted to just say one real quick, yeah. though, too, is that I want to say Marcus Smart probably would have been that guy in that 9 series that we were mm. talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. He fits the mold of, of both. Yeah. It would have been crazy. Yeah, he shows yeah, we up. We could have used him on Ben Gordon. 
for yeah, sure. Yeah, he yeah he shows he shows out. He's intense, man. I I love it. I love me some Marcus Smart. I did have some questions too, to be honest with you, Patrick, going into the season about uh you know if he was a, a starting level caliber uh, point guard, but uh yeah I think he's kind of put that to bed at this point now that the Celtics are just really rolling here. I think they figured out how to make that work. So uh, kudos to uh, obviously Ime Adoka there uh, getting that to work. But shooting our rotation, let's talk um you know let, let's talk about Levine versus Jalen Brown. Uh, and this is a guy you know Zach Levine. Trey, uh, we'll talk about the Bulls side of it real quick. Uh, this is a guy in Zach Levine where, you know, we're talking back and forth again about giving him a max contract. And, you know, most most days, you know, we feel like it's good. And I think we agree that it's a good thing to do. And, I, you know, we've said it a million times. Um, but when you're, you're putting up against, you know, Jalen Brown, I mean, there's pretty much every stat. And this is only this season I'm looking at here. But every statistic that, uh, you know, he's matched up with Jalen Brown, except for assists and points again, uh, you know, he's getting blown out of the water. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown has 61 steals in the season as, as opposed to Zach Levine, who's only got 39. Uh, you know, I'll talk about rebounds, 354 for Jalen Brown, 385. Um, Zach is a three-level scorer. Zach is a incredible scorer. But – you know, is he too much of a one-dimensional player? I mean, is does that give Jalen Brown the edge here? I, I don't know, man. I think this is going to be a really great duel here uh, as far as, like, second fiddles go here because we all agree, I think, that DeMar DeRozan and, and, and Jason Tatum are basically the main guys on each team. But when we're talking about second fiddles here, I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup. What do, we, what do you think, Trey? Yeah, I kind of – I hope that Zach can come in and be healthy. Uh, we've – watching the yeah. Bulls every every night like we have, you can definitely see the difference in him before the knee injury and since he's been trying to play through it. And to me, I, that that's where it really suffers because you mentioned he's a scorer, but with DeMar coming in this year, and we expected DeMar to be the second guy and Zach to be the number one, and it's kind of flip-flopped. So Zach taking that secondary role – I really hoped he would step up more on the defensive end, and that just hasn't happened. So at the beginning of the season, I would have taken Zach over Jalen. But, you know, right now, especially with the knee injury, you have to give Boston the edge. And given how the Bulls offense works and how the Celtics like how it works, how everything's playing out for both teams, Zach's scoring ability, it's not even being leveraged, I don't feel like, as well as it should, given how how high DeMar's usage is and how often those two share the court. So to me, I think this one's clearly in Boston's favor. Yeah. I am, um, you know, I, I opt to, before I let you guys talk here, Celtics guys, uh, we'll give you a little kudos here. I think, yeah, Jalen Brown over uh, Zach Levine, just for the fact of, as Trey mentions, uh, you know, nightly we have to watch Zach Levine just, um, absolutely lose himself on defense, uh, you know, multiple times a game, which is just, uh, it's just disappointing. And like Trey said, you know, uh, a lot of the offensive playmaking uh, load was taking off of his shoulders when we went and got DeMar DeRozan. And you would think that with his good showing being a ball hawk for, for Team USA in the Olympics, that he would kind of carry that over and do some of that for the Bulls. And you see it time to time. And, you know, he does give effort, I think, most nights. It's just his awareness of the defensive end is just not good. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jalen Brown is a terrific defender uh, at the shooting guard position. So what, go ahead and tell me what you guys' thoughts are here. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Lucas. Um, yeah, you know, Levine is honestly, I love him as an offensive player. And like, you know, I kind of mentioned, you know, I watched a lot of the Bulls when I lived in Chicago. And that is one thing that really just you couldn't, unsee was his lack of awareness on the defensive end it just that was always concerning you know as far as giving him a max contract you know I know you guys are probably in a situation where you have to but you would definitely like to see that defense improve and uh yeah I would give Jalen the slight edge um 
you know, Jalen has taken a bump up in his playmaking. Um, you know, this year I think he's averaging like three and a half about, and over the last like 20, he's averaging a little over four. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something a lot of people, you know, myself included, I did not really see Jalen averaging about four assists this year. I, I just really didn't. Um, and I think to the Marcus Smart point, Jalen and Jason handling the ball takes a lot of that pressure off Smart, um, you know, a lot of the time. But Jalen is a good defender, don't get me wrong, but I will say he does have his lapses as well off the ball. I would say he's a much better on-ball defender than he is off the ball. Um, he does have the propensity to fall asleep, let guys cut back door. Um, but that's, you know, relatively infrequent. You know, he's done a lot less, I feel like, as of late, but that's definitely something to look for. Not on the same level as Levine, but uh, I would give Jalen the slight edge as well. But Levine is the guy who can go for 60 at any point. So, mm-hmm. you know, his scoring ability is definitely something I'm a little bit worried about without Rob protecting the rim. If Levine can get downhill, get players moving, you know, his off-the-dribble shooting is unbelievable, really. So uh, I think Levine could definitely, you know, succeed on the offensive end, but he's a player the Celtics need to attack when he's on uh, when he's on defense. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Patrick, you agree with that sentiment, man? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really there with Lucas. Uh, I think that Jalen Brown's defense may get kind of overhyped at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think actually when this team is fully healthy and Robert Williams is a part of that starting five, I feel like Jalen Brown is actually the worst defender on the court, mm-hmm. if that says anything. And uh, I mean, that just tells you how good we are. But also it does say that Jalen Brown's defense has taken a step back from what we've seen in the past. But it has to do with some injuries. You know, last year he had a wrist injury on his off hand and then you had – um, he's had this knee issue where he has knee tendonitis now. And then he had just an ankle injury he just worked back from. But the thing that Jalen Brown does so well now um, that he hasn't done as much in the past is that he plays very well controlled. He doesn't force the issues anymore. He kind of gets into his own. And if you let him get too comfortable, like we saw earlier today in, in our afternoon game against the Wizards, he came up and hit a three. Guy didn't come up on the second next possession. He's going to shoot it again. Hits a three. Came up on the third position. He had three straight possessions of threes. You know, that's nine points in less than a minute. So you let him kind of get going in that way and you let him get it going in transition where he really thrives. There's not much you can do to stop Jalen Brown. He's really up there with with the guys in the world. And you're talking about he's a part of a duo that scored 50 points this year. You know, there's not many teams that can say that they have two guys that have dropped 50 point games in the same season. Well, the Celtics have two of those guys and he's one of them. He's also made his first all star appearance last year. I think if he wasn't as injured this season, that he would have had an opportunity to make the team again. Also, credits to DeMar DeRozan having a crazy first half of the year. Like his first half season, he had him in the MVP talks, all that, that jazz. You know, he definitely earned that that spot also on the all-star rate. But with guys like that having really great seasons and him not being as healthy, it kind of really affected his opportunity to, to be a back-to-back all-star player. Uh, but this guy is, is the real deal. And Celtics fans are, we can't, we're happy that we don't have him on a full max deal for money wise, but we can't wait to hopefully get to him extended as well. Yeah, definitely. And Lucas, I'll throw it to you, man. Talk to me about, uh, you know, he just mentioned DeMar DeRozan having an incredible season. So talk to me a little bit about DeMar DeRozan uh, versus Jason Tatum here. These are the lead dogs for both teams. Uh, you know, who, who are you giving the edge to there? And, uh, you know, as far as like the backups to uh, at the small forward spot, who are you giving the, the edge to? Um, you know, I got to give the edge to Tatum here, you know, as phenomenal as DeRozan has been. Um, you know, it's really been cool to see DeRozan's evolution as a player. You know, he was a division rival in Toronto. You know, he goes down with Pop in San Antonio, refines his game as far as playmaking, really just opens up another facet of his game that we hadn't really seen in Toronto. Um, and then he just has dominated with the Bulls. I mean, the fact that a guy who plays like DeRozan plays, taking jumpers, you know, was 
was uh, up there with a will as far as points and efficiency. It's just mind-blowing to me, honestly. So shout-out to Mar. But I think what gives Tatum the edge are, is going to be um, his defense, first and foremost. Um, you know, Tatum has really worked himself into an elite defender. Um, he can guard literally one through five. Like, he guarded Cat the other night. We've seen him guard Trey Young off the dribble. I mean, it's really phenomenal to see this guy, what he can do on the defensive end, you know, being the superstar he is and the offensive, you know, load that he carries. Um, and also just his size. I mean, I know that seems kind of rudimentary, but, you know, it's just something annoying about a guy who can, you know, cross you up, but also just shoot over the top of you. And, you know, there's really nothing you can do about it. He had a couple of ridiculous shots today in the game against the Wizards with a hand in his face that he pretty much acted like they weren't even there. So I do have to give the edge to, you know, my guy, Jason Tatum, but, DeRozan has really had a phenomenal year, and I don't want to take anything away from him as a player. Yeah, uh, a bit unfair there. Um, Patrick, give me your thoughts there on uh, on Tatum and, and DeRozan. Yeah, so I feel like, you know, like I said, I talked about how DeRozan's first half of the season got him into that MVP talks. Like, Tatum's second half season it was like DeRozan's first half. He was so good over this last 40 games that He's in the MVP talks, like at the end of the year now. So it, it's just kind of like the tale of two tapes with them, where it's like Tatum was was playing bad for his standards mm-hmm. um, in the first half of the season. But when you looked at the numbers, you're like, man, this guy's still top 10 in scoring in the NBA. Like he was still getting the job done, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like they kind of swapped in that sense, where like DeRozan's still getting the job done, but maybe he's just not at that MVP level that everyone was expecting. I know he just went off the other night, though. Had a phenomenal game. But I think what Tatum does is and so much better than DeRozan is on the defensive side of the ball. And people haven't given Tatum enough credit on that side. Um, I feel like people think Jalen Brown's probably a better defender than Tatum if you're not following the Celtics as often. Mm-hmm. And that's totally wrong. Um, me and Lucas have been on the train that this team, ideally, if you really looked at it, should have three all defensive team members. And Tatum is one of them. And he should be first team. That's how great he has really been on this team. Um, I also think that Tatum's scoring – you know, they lie about his height. There's no way he's 6'8". You look at the dude, he's 6'10", put on that extra muscles. He's definitely done enough in his game this year as well to realize, hey, I'm bigger than a lot of these guys. Like, I'm going to the rim. And ever since he's kind of realized that in the second half of the season, he just took off. And you knew his shooting numbers were going to come back and everything kind of stabilized. And now you're looking at him at a career high in points, a career high in, in rebounds. Um, his playmaking's way better. And the dude's only 24. Like, he's still getting there. He's just a fresh 24 hours as well. So um, I'm going to give the advantage to Tatum, and it's not a biased advantage. I do love DeRozan. I, yeah. I love the mid-range game. I'm one of those people who are like, I hope it never dies. Mm-hmm. I love Chris Paul. I love DeRozan watching those guys just kill teams in the mid-range. But I, I think it's at an unfair advantage. It's just the wrong matchup for DeRozan to be paired up. Yeah, I um, you know, definitely agree with you there. I don't think it's any you know surprise here that uh, I lean obviously Tatum over DeRozan, uh, and it is it is a large part because of the defense. And you know we talk about Zach's um, you know lapses mentally on the defensive end. Uh, DeRozan is just as uh, you know at fault here for those kind of, of mistakes as uh, Levine is. Maybe a little less than Levine because he's got a little bit more experience on him, and uh, you know obviously you know, had Popovich as a coach and uh, puts forth effort there, but uh, he hides it well, but he's not necessarily a great defender. Um, so do you agree with that, Trey? I'm going to pass it to you here. Um, you know, do you take Tatum as well over DeRozan? Oh yeah. You guys summed it up perfectly. I, I don't have anything to add on that. We can move, we can move on. To the power <laughs> We can move forward. right on. We can move right along. That's perfect. Uh, well, speaking if of, I can, if I can, yeah. if I can just say, I mean, 
I failed to factor in that DeMar DeRozan looks like Michael Jordan every time he plays <laughs> the Celtics. You know, so maybe I need to give DeRozan a few more props, but I just want to yeah. get that in there. That DeRozan, since he was on the Raptors, has absolutely killed the Celtics. <laughs> well, we played you guys uh, twice, but it was before you guys really started playing well. And, uh, you know, obviously one and one I think it is that we are uh, – and we play you again here in our next game. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I, I'm not confident about it. I think that's going to be an L for the, for the Bulls here, the way that these two teams are heading and uh, the specific issues we're having, which we're going to get into here in a minute. But uh, while I got you guys here, I'm going to tell you to stop giving your personal information to your ISP. On top of overcharging, your ISP is allowed to legally sell your browsing history to third-party advertisers for a ton of cash. Take your privacy back with ExpressVPN. Head to our special promotional link at expressvpn.com hoopball. Yep, it's slash hoopball to get three bonus months on a 12-month subscription. It's super easy. Turning it on just takes one click, and it works Great with streaming services like Netflix or sports packages like League Pass 2. Once more, that's expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Grab those three bonus months. Right? Meow. Um, okay, power forward position. And it's kind of weird because I'm like I'm like typing out the rotations here at the different positions here. And it's like, uh, you know, who really plays power forward? Who really plays small forward when they're on the floor? And, and the Celtics are, are that way too. Uh, you know, everything's just so positionless now in basketball. It's like, okay, whatever. Um, but right now the Bulls do have Caruso starting at the power forward uh, position basically. Uh, and then they've got Patrick Williams and Javante Green coming off the bench. Javante Green's getting like maybe 12, 13 minutes right now. Uh, I think Patrick Williams will start. I think, uh, Trey, you mentioned that. I think I agree with that there. Uh, so as far as like the power forward position goes, I don't know. The Bulls, uh, this is where they really, really need to step up in this series if they want to win. And I know we mentioned Patrick Williams in the defensive end before, but this is really the group of guys here, Caruso, Williams, and, and Javante Green, that are going to make the defense work. Even though it's been terrible most of the season, we saw in the first uh, month, couple months of the season, that the Bulls are a top third defensive team when they have the right personnel on the floor and now they've got Patrick Williams back he's playing really well recently that's one thing that we've been watching really you know in being really interested in how this guy looks and uh you know he's had some lapses and defense hasn't necessarily looked fantastic but offensively and there's been some really eye-opening defensive plays especially with the back-to-back blocks uh in the last game Trey so uh how are you feeling about this you know power forward rotation here what are we weak at here uh what are we looking to to be strong here uh against the Celtics I mean, this is the biggest question mark for the Bulls. Uh, Patrick Williams, he's the only guy with the size and the athleticism to really even match up against Tatum. So that that's the only, that's really the only thing that matters at this position for the Bulls when it comes to this series. Um, Patrick Williams has been more aggressive. He has looked better each game he's played. So, you know, the more games he plays, the better he's going to look. But he's not going to get very many games before the playoffs get here. So I don't expect him to look super great but in terms of uh the rotation what we're expecting caruso he'll be great against the rest of them but really this is patrick williams's place this is this is what matters for the pat for the power forward for the bulls yeah it's got to work if the bulls are going to be good going forward they've got a young core patrick williams uh kobe white uh you know lonzo ball uh, i'll put zach levine in there who's still relatively young but patrick williams needs to be the part that works so uh celtics guys uh lucas let's start with you man what do you think about your power forward rotation what do they need to do well against the bulls you know i mean this is kind of a toss-up too for the celtics as well um you know with robert williams just assuming he's not playing just like we're assuming lonzo's not playing um 
You know, it's but like Tatum be, might be your power forward and Derek White might be, you know, your shooting guard and Jay. J, like, you, I, this is the big question mark for the Celtics, right? Is who's the fourth guy who, or who's the fifth guy? Right. No, and exactly. And Trey, that could definitely happen. Uh, White could start and Tatum and Brown could slide up a position in the uh, starting lineup. But it could also be Grant or Tice, I would say. So I would really say. I would say Grant. I don't know, Patrick, what you think about who do you think is going to end up starting. I think it's probably be matchup based, but Grant is a guy who usually has slid into that role. Um, and Grant's been great. I mean, if Grant is making his threes, you know, he's been a really positive player. He's much improved on the defensive end, improved his foot speed, you know, dropped that weight that they had him put on, you know, his, you know, first years in the league, you know, try to play in the small ball five. They realized very quickly, not his role, shed his weight. He's able to move his feet, move laterally a little bit more. Um, and he's just a guy who's making the right plays. And he'll take a charge, he'll move the ball, he'll hit the open corner three, and he's been turned into a sniper, which is ridiculous considering he missed his first 27 threes to start his career. You know, Jalen joked they were calling him Ben Simmons at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's calling him Ben Simmons now the way he's shooting. But Patrick, I would, I'm interested to see who you think is going to start because I think it could be one of White, Tice, or, uh, or Grant. So that would really, you know, shake up who is the power forward. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of leaning on Grant Williams. I think Grant Williams is the guy who's going to slide in there because the way that the Celtics like to play their offensive side is they like to keep that ball movement really solidified. So if they start Derek White next to Marcus Smart, they'd have to stagger him and, and kind of keep them both. It's a little harder when they're both starting. Uh, but also at the end of the day, me and Lucas talk about this all the time. The starting lineup really doesn't matter in games. Mm-hmm. It's the closing lineup that is right. the main factor. Mm-hmm. And I think the closing lineup is Derek White's in there. And then you're going with Daniel Tyson, Al Horford possibly um, could be in some of those closing lineups, depending on how Vooch is playing. But ultimately, Al Horford, Tatum, Brown, Derek White, smart. Good luck defend, you know, mm-hmm. you know, offensively trying to get your way with those guys because even Al Horford is not no slouch on the defensive side. And uh, that just allows the Celtics to kind of really play – really aggressively on the switch defense and offensively allows them to have a threat on every position. There's a lot of questions here at the power forward position, I think for both teams. So uh, it'd be interesting to watch. Uh, Lucas, let's shoot it to you here real quick. This is our last position here. Centers. Uh, tell me about, uh, you know, does Vooch scare you as much as, as uh, Patrick seems to uh, indicate here? Uh, obviously he's got to play well for that to happen, but uh, what do you think, man? You know, honestly, I think that Al individually matches up with Vooch pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Al can move his feet pretty well, you know, so a guy like Vooch is not going to absolutely kill him off the bounce. Um, but I will say, um, you mentioned earlier, the, or I think Trey mentioned earlier with the synergy stats, um, you know, Rob is a much better, you know, defender of perimeter jump shots than Al. So if Vooch gets going from three, I can see, you know, him, you know, Al closing out too hard, attacking and breaking down the defense. So I, you know, am definitely you know concerned with Vucevic's offense you know he's just a really great offensive player but I do think Al matches up pretty well with him individually so if Vooch isn't like on a burner you know knocking down his threes I think Al's going to be able to uh you know handle him pretty well but you know Vooch is a really talented guy on the offensive end so I think he's one of those guys that feels like he's always going to get his like you know he's always going to get his 20 points so you know I think it actually has more to do with slowing down a couple other guys that'll really help the Celtics win but uh I think I think we'll be able to contain Vucevic. Uh, what do you think, Patrick? Yeah, man. Uh, the reason I'm I'm scared of Vuce is because he's that stretch big, right? Uh, mm. Not having Robert Williams who specializes that. Like, he's cool. Robert Williams can switch on guys. Like that that's mm. a very rarity. 
but the Celtics have done a lot of drop coverage with Al Horford lately because right. they don't have Robert Williams who's going to be able to switch. So they kind of hide away from Al Horford getting switched on some people. So there's a little chink in, in that defensive armor that wasn't there. And I think the ability that Vooch has to stretch the floor possesses that threat. And we know that based off of the matchups that we all can agree that maybe the Celtics are favored in this matchup pretty heavily. But if there is going to be a way, it's going to ride on the, the, the ability to stretch the defense out with Al Horford being there, not able to come out on people. So maybe you're you're putting Vooch in a lot of screen actions, pick and pops, make Al Horford make a decision. Is he going to drop coverage? Are you going to get the open shot for Vooch now on the perimeter? Or, you know, is somebody going to try to fight over that screen and DeRozan's headed downhill now and now there's no rim protection? Like, it's just going to be adding a lot of different factors. I think Vooch is going to be the center point of how well he plays is going to determine on how much of a threat the Bulls can be. Yeah, um, lots of uh, lots of pick and rolls and uh, and getting people in drop coverage and taking advantage of that. I think on both sides of that happens. Uh, Vooch, uh, Trey, uh, it's interesting to hear this because you know obviously he started this the season he was struggling from three really mightily all season, but he's really come on lately and uh, starting to hit that shot a little bit better and starting to stretch the floor better, which the Bulls desperately need because their spacing is just absolute crap. Um, so I do think, you know, I do think I give the Bulls an edge here, um, but it's going to depend, like Patrick said here, on how well Vooch plays because he's been uh, you know, kind of up and down this season and he needs to be engaged on offense and he needs to get the ball in, the, in his spots and, and the Bulls need to do a better job of doing that. And I just don't have confidence that they will. What do you what about you? That's where I'm at with it. I'm worried that the Boston defense is just going to be too much for the Chicago ball handlers to get Vooch the ball in spaces where he can make it work. Uh, in a vacuum, I think I like the Vooch. I think I like Vooch more than Horford, um, but this isn't a vacuum. And Chicago, they don't have great ball handlers. They don't have great playmakers. And not having those things has been something that has really hindered this team throughout, you know, throughout the year. And I think – for the Bulls, if they are going to have any success, they're going to have to leverage, you know, Al Horford's age and just force him to be that defensive anchor that he hasn't had to be because Time Lord's been there. But I don't know if Fuchs is going to be able to do that, given the fact that I don't think we're going to be able to put him in positions to succeed against a team that's that's just this talented all around. Yeah, and uh, that's a good point, uh, Trey. You know, you mentioned some key success here. Closing this show, guys, let's just give some, you know, really quick. Uh, you know, Bulls Celtics keys to success here. If the Bulls do end up uh, playing the Celtics in the playoffs, you know, what's it going to take to win? I- I'll go ahead and just start just on the from the Bulls standpoint. Uh, you know, we've been mentioning this the Celtics defense all show, and it's scary, man. It is absolutely scary. So one of the keys to success here is that the Bulls need to get out in transition, man. They have to get out in transition and really uh, attack this Boston Celtics team before they can get their defense set up, maybe get some foul trouble going on like you guys are talking about. Uh, if they stand any hope of winning this, um, you know, the Bulls are first in scoring frequency in transition, according to NBA.com, first in effective field goal percentage in transition. And, you know, according to all their markers, they're the 100th percentile. So they are the the basically the marker uh, when it comes to being the best transition offense in the NBA. And the Bulls like to get out and run, man. They got Zach Levine. They've got DeMar DeRozan for a reason. They've got, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball is really a, a, a key part of that. Obviously, we're going to just pretend like he's not playing in, in this theoretical series. But uh, getting out and running is, is something that they really, really need to, to, to do. Uh, the Bulls also need to just hang in there, man. 
And like, uh, you know, like Patrick was saying with, uh, you know, your bench unit's not meant to necessarily score sometimes, sometimes just meant to bide you time uh, while you start or sit. And we don't have a Jason Tatum that's always a plus minus, uh, you know, maybe DeMar DeRozan gets there or, or is comparable to some extent, but he's not exactly the same thing that Jason Tatum is. But the Bulls need to hang around because the fourth quarter scoring, uh, you know, Bulls are second and fourth quarter scoring. Uh, now they give up a lot of points in the fourth quarter also, but we've seen, Trey, all season that the Bulls, uh, hang around, hang around, hang around, and all of a sudden that fourth quarter hits. DeMar DeRozan time, Zach Levine time, those guys just go off and uh, get us wins that we don't think are going to happen. It happened against the Celtics team, obviously, the biggest comeback in the shot clock era. Uh, this was, again, before the Celtics were playing well, but we did break a record there. Um, so, Patrick, tell me some quick keys here for the Celtics if they're going to win this series. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so as far as like the Celtics, what they need to do is they need to limit. I think they need to limit the Bulls' transition game. Uh, you, you're a great defense. Great defenses are better when they're able to set themselves. That's something that needs to happen. Um, as far as also that rim protection, like how do you guys, you know, make up for Robert Williams, who is also in the defensive player of the year um, candidacy as well. You got to be able to lock in defensively for 48 minutes, not 28 minutes. You know, not 30 minutes. This team has been known to play defense and have one quarter where they give up 40 points. That's even being a top ranked defense they're They have their own flaws. They let up at times. They can't keep their foot off the gas, especially against a team like the Bulls. They've seen what they have. And you talked about the biggest comeback. Um, I think the earlier in the season, having a lot of those relapses allowed this team to learn from that. And then also it's, it's ride your stars, man. This is the playoffs, you know, get the balls, create easy looks for Tatum and Brown but make sure to continue to get everybody else involved while playmaking. But if you run things through Tatum and you find, find your best player, a lot of times things are going to happen well for you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Trey, give me some of your keys here for the Bulls to uh, pull out a win here. They have to get Vooch in positions to succeed, and they have Patrick Williams has to continue to step up. And he needs to have – he just needs to have a series that a number four pick uh, can and should be able to have. I. I don't necessarily expect him to, given how long he's been out, but if the Bulls are going to have any chance, those are the two things. Zach, DeMar, they do what they do regardless of defenses. That's kind of been their bread and butter. They take some of the most difficult shots in the league, but getting everyone else involved, getting them easy shots, and being able to throw someone at Tatum to just slow him down a little bit and maybe maybe try and get the Celtics to maybe stifle their ball movement, make them play a little more ISO-oriented, but... It's an uphill climb for sure. Hey, Joakim Noah had his coming out party against Celtics in 2009. Maybe it's Patrick Williams' turn. Maybe. Uh, who knows? You know, you never know. Uh, Lucas, why don't you close this out, man? What do you got for keys for the for the Celtics here in a th- theoretical matchup? Yeah, first, I just want to say I appreciate you guys, you know, having us on, man. Uh, yeah. This has been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys about this potential playoff series. Um, and as far as the, you know, the keys go, I would say um, you kind of mentioned it um, earlier, um, Keith, in that uh, – you know, the Celtics really uh, – well, first of all, we need to make our open threes, okay? That is a big key, right? It's You chop things up in this league. It's a make-or-miss league. Once again, that seems like a rudimentary concept, but, you know, it's true, right? If you can't make your threes, then, you know, we saw that, Patrick. I know a lot of the Celtics' struggles, you know, before we really turned it around was just us not making shots. And, you know, the team started making shots. We positively regressed Al Horford, you know, Jason Tatum, 
started making a lot more three-pointers. Um, so that is a big key. And then what I was going to say. Is, isn't it amazing how Jason Tatum went from being a bad playmaker, people said, to being this amazing playmaker just because his teammates actually started making see, shots? I, I hate to interject, <laughs> but as someone who has been on the, the Celtics bandwagon for a couple of years now, Tatum has been an excellent playmaker for years. But like you said, they're finally making the shots. I Go ahead. Sorry. You know, you know I appreciate that. That part. That were, part. No, you're speaking my language. Listen, because people <laughs> act like some sort of massive jump has happened when really what Trey said is exactly true. It, we just started making some more shots and the assist numbers look a little bit better. And so now people assume he's taken some massively. But no, I'm with Trey. He has been a good playmaker for a while now. But what I was going to say is, Keith, um, what you mentioned earlier is, um, oh, of course, now my now I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, way to go, Trey. Um, you see, who did you, Trey? You're kicked off, man. No more. He was talking Trey's about no, making no, no, open no. three pointers. That they need no. to make three pointers. Uh, no, something I brought the, up. That was the first one, and the second <laughs> point was, um, oh, the ISO ball. Okay, uh, uh, sorry about that, guys. But uh, that was Trey. No, Keith mentioned, you know, if the South, if the Bulls want to have a chance, they got to get the Celtics back into the ISO ball sort of mode, and I think that's a very good point. If the Celtics revert back to what had them losing games at a 500 record as opposed to their ball movement and their cutting, you know, off the ball, I think that could really, you know, favor the Bulls. So that's something I want to keep my eye on. Do the Celtics continue that level of ball movement? And uh, with our elite playmaker, Jason Tatum, word to Trey. <laughs> awesome, guys. Yeah, hey, thanks, thanks, Patrick. Thank you, uh, you know, and thank you, Lucas, for both of you guys for coming on. Obviously, this is going to run on both Sports Ethos Bulls and Sports Ethos Celtics. So uh, awesome, jo- awesome job, both of you guys. And, you know, it's going to be a fantastic episode, I think, for both of our fans. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. If the Bulls do play the Celtics, I think it's going to be a fun series, whether or not the Bulls can, you know, even win a game or not. I think it'll be close and, and competitive. So, uh, but until next time, guys, I am Keith Cork. You can find me on Twitter at, at BSBPKeith. And uh, let's say, Patrick, where can we find you, man? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ballin Opinions. Um, you can also follow the show at Ethos Celtics. So make sure you guys go ahead and subscribe there if you are where the Ethos Bulls. I know um, you may not follow the Bulls, but you might want to listen after the Bulls game. You can hear me and Lucas talk about that matchup as well. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be doing a uh, breakdown as well. And uh, you know, we'll definitely tune in, man. You guys have a great show. And uh, Trey, where can the people find you, man? On Twitter at Final Finally. And uh, Lucas, where can they find you? You're going at Luca underscore Gainer. All right, man. Until next time, we'll see you. Go Bulls, go Celtics, go both teams. Appreciate you guys.